creature. Um, yeah. Oh, we're live. Jo- we've got Josh in a blacked out room, and we're we're officially live. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know how much this is going to be possible to even run with me at the helm. Uh, I don't know what the hell's going on, boys. Well, luckily it's a podcast, isn't it? So for, uh, you know, yeah. outside of the stream, this makes no difference to people listening. They don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, well, it does sound like his internet is absolutely kaput. Uh, I normally, I guess this is where Josh would normally say, like, welcome to episode. So I don't even know what episode it is. Welcome 241, to... it says. Oh, look at that. Someone's yeah. organized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's at the top of the screen here, but there you, there you go. Christ. Um... Yeah, it is. That's embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it says it right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome to episode 241. Um, <laughs> what did we do? We, we played Sheffield United in the FA Cup, didn't we? And uh, we played a classic Jekyll and Hyde game. But outside of that, what's going on, Craig? How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I feel like it's been a while. Um, yeah, life life gets in the way sometimes, but yeah, doing well, surviving the winter. How about you? Yeah, same. We're uh, we were just talking about this before we we went live. It's um, it's not that fun. Uh, the winter in the northeast or where Craig is in the, in the Midwest of the US. It's um, it's fairly morbid, but you get through it and then I guess you can enjoy the spring and the summer for the three weeks that that occurs for. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, at least we've kind of got some semblance of, of Brighton football back in the last few days after that, what felt like a very, very long break after that, mm. that Stoke game. Unfortunately, obviously with the Wolves game, we were incredibly frustrated. And, and as we go live about what, 10 minutes ago, we just found out that we've drawn Wolves in the next round of the FA Cup into the fifth in the fifth round after that victory over Sheffield United. Before we jump into the, the Sheffield United game, talk about that. Uh, thoughts on that draw against Wolves? Uh, annoying, right? Like it's just recency bias and, and the nil-nil draw and how well how lackluster it was just means like we're just in for 90 minutes more of that. But um yeah, I mean it's it could have been worse, it could have been better, right? It's kind of middle of the pack for me. But what are your thoughts? Uh, for me, it's actually sort of a worst case scenario. Um, <laughs> I'd rather face a big side. At least we can see like a fun football game. This is just now going to be miserable, isn't it? And we just got to hope that we can get one in while Gary O'Neill puts 14 men behind, uh, you know, in, in, in the, the goalkeeper's 12 yard area. Like, it's, just, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just miserable. Um, I'm genuine, not happy about that game. But it's a genuine pathway, right? Like it's a, you'd class it as a winnable game it might it might be turgid and like horrible to watch but it's winnable it's winnable but these are the these are the worst games for us aren't they these are the horrible ones where sure on paper we can win them but they're also the ones that we end up just looking horrendous in um mm. because and that's maybe this is a nice segue into Sheffield United because Sheffield United actually tried to play football against us which is shocking after witnessing um you know, Wolves and then West Ham. I know we had Stoke in between, but two sides that just simply didn't want to play football. And lo and behold, we got a seven-goal thriller. Uh, and at least in the second half, it was fairly interesting. <laughs> um, last episode, I know you weren't on this, Craig, but we talked about uh, what was the expected lineup here because we've got this collection of games coming up because we played Luton, obviously, in what as a recording in two days now, I think. Yeah. Uh, so there was discussion about whether we put out a sort of weaker side. There was none of that, really, was there? No, no. I You saw a couple of bits of rotation, right? The most notable being Dunk coming out and, and sitting on the bench for a bit, get a bit of respite. 
Um, otherwise, you're looking at as strong as a team as you could probably put out, right? Um, if Verbruggen comes back in um, for, for the cup game as well. Um, Bonanote was starting already. Um, you know, your Gilmore, Webster, Igor, like, it looked as, as good as you could put out, you know, that apart from Dunk coming out. This is as good as you could probably get. So um, you can tell that Deserbi takes this seriously. I think you saw that last year with the FA Cup as well, is that there's a real, I say passion, but he's passionate about everything. But there's a, there's a real intent with the cup games and, and these cup runs as well. Um, so it seems to be a focal point as well. Where we're actually taking them quite seriously. Um, and judging on how we did last year, um, he's absolutely right to do so. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, a strong lineup, right? So uh, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, well, when we talked about this, my, my thought behind it was that maybe he'd splash in some some of the the players that haven't been playing quite as much, but broadly it will be a strong team. But we didn't even really see that. Um, no. well, as you say, like the dunk thing, give him a rest. But outside of that, it's it's not like Belaba played. It's it's not like we brought in I'm trying to think who else might even have come in. We didn't really give Moda. Any time you could have sus- suspected that maybe he got a bit more time on the pitch, maybe Tarek Lamptey started, uh, none of that. But thankfully, uh, the, it was a genius rotation of taking taking uh, Dunk out and, and putting Adam Webster in because probably one of the most superb performances I've ever witnessed uh, from a central defender. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was diabolically bad, wasn't he? I... I thought he grew into the game. I think I can I can tell what it's you definitely mean. Definitely grew into like, something, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think there was there was some bits where he was rusty. You you get that with Adam Webster, right? He needs, and we've spoken about this so many times, but like he needs a run of consistent games in order to get up to the level that we know he's capable of. At. Um, this constant rotation does not suit Adam Webster and his mm. way of working, right? So. Yeah, I think that's that's probably it. I, I did think he actually did well towards the end of the game. I am going to give him credit where I think it's due, in my opinion. But um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a it's a weird one. You take Dunk out, and you're it is a worse team anyway, regardless, right? So yeah, um, you you kind of expect that sort of sway. Um, but yeah, I think we've got Josh anyway. So um, what did what did you think about Webster and, and the lineup? <laughs> yeah, Webster is a tough one. I, do you know what? I actually felt pretty good about Webster on the right side of a back three because he's looked all right previously um, as part of a three instead of a four, but uh, he was not great yesterday. Uh, I don't know whether it was a lack of trust in Hinshelwood compared to maybe Veltman playing out there uh, or whether he it just is his rusty self that Speaking of rusty selves, sounds like some some rusty internet. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's probably a, there's a point to be made there, but at the same time, that's that's a requirement for this team. That's a requirement for the way Deserby plays this uh, plays football. Uh, you need to be comfortable with whoever switches out next to you, whether it's the goalkeeper behind you, whether it's the right back, whether it's whatever it is. You need to be comfortable, and we've seen the players that are able to adapt to that, and we've seen the ones that can't. Adam Webster is one of the ones that seemingly can't, and and until we see something different there, to me he's 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 an absolute liability. I was oh god, he was. He was I'm not even going to go on about it. It was just so so many situations there where it was bad, but it looks like Robbins jumped in as well. So despite the fact that we're losing Josh to whatever 
internet-based gremlins he has. We've we've got Robin featured here. We've not gone through much, Robin. We've just talked about the fact that Josh's internet's crap. Um, we talked about how the lineup didn't really shift too much apart from Dunk coming out, uh, and then how horrendous Adam Webster seems to be at football now. <laughs> Agreed all round. Yeah, uh, that's about it. But wh- why don't we actually get into the, the the meat of the game? Because this was a weird one. Normally we do this thing, right, where we start horrendously poorly uh, and then Deserby gets really angry at halftime and the team comes out and performs really well. Instead, we did a sort of footballing uh, skill-based sandwich where it started off really well. We capitulated in a massive way uh, for about 15 minutes in the end of the first half. And then obviously the second half, we know what happened. Let's talk about the, the first sort of 30 minutes. We can't go over that until we talk about the Buenonote goal. Uh, thoughts about that? Because he's been much abused, Buenonote, in terms of his talent, the, the mistakes that he's made, how well he fits into this team, if he's up to the speed or pace of English football. Can't really fault that strike there, can you? It's, yeah, it's stunning, isn't it? I, and I think there was always this period of adaptation, similar to what we saw with McAllister as well, and and this sort of stuff. And we can we continue to talk about that all the time, right? But it is going to take time for a 19 year old Argentinian kid to come straight into the Premier League and make some sort of progress or make a stamp on what what we need, right? If he's got the trust and he's got the ability, then it'll come in time. Um, I think you're please starting- remember that when Valentin Barco starts for us. By the way, that exact phrase, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So they, it's tough, right? And this is the biggest league in the world and all this sort of stuff. And you're 19 years old, but you're starting to see it now. And, you know, there's the, the potential and the ability is there. It's just doing it on a more consistent basis for him. Um, and if he's able to do that and, and grow into the game like he did and score wonder strikes like he did yesterday as well, then there's a, there's a lot to come. But amazing strike, like just being able to completely give the defender the wrong way and then put it in from 25 yards is, is special. Robin, what do you really? think of that one? I mean, it was a great move leading up to it. I think it was like 22 passes or something. And it was exactly textbook to Zerbi. They kind of went from one side to the other, went forward, wasn't quite working out on the left, went all the way back, started again. So it was textbook to Zerbi getting it to that point. Um, I actually thought that Buonanotte was sort of running out of options a little bit. Um, and it looked like he almost thought, I've got to take a shot here because there's nothing else particularly on. Um, but, you know, as you say, an unbelievable finish. I think technique-wise, I don't think there's many doubts over him because the Chelsea goal that he scored, whilst obviously not in this league in terms of it being as spectacular, the technique was still there. So I think the only question marks people have had about him is his physicality or relative lack of and you could argue his decision making as well you even said it there right his he ran out of options he's he's sometimes he ignores an obvious pass and decides to do something stupid and loses the ball as well yeah um but i think you know no one really expected that to end up in the back of the net um judging by the look on his face when he was celebrating he didn't think that ball was going <laughs> to end up in the back of the net either um but yeah i mean great great goal Absolutely great goal. And hopefully, you know, it gives him confidence that, um, you know, he can he can do that. I suppose the other positive was that, you know, he he was, he was you know, there were defenders around him and he was holding his own, you know, in terms of physicality. So he definitely looks like he is growing in confidence. 
compared to where he was even you know two or three months ago you know what i'm quite excited to see uh, and by the way this is the, i don't think there's any mistakes here in terms of uh the personnel that have been brought in well if you think about Brennan Otto, if you think about in CISO, i mean we don't even really need to go into deep detail about where in CISO is able to put the ball in the net from we've seen with estupidian with some of the wonder strikes that he's been able to pull off as well these are players where I would I wouldn't be shocked if they've been told by Deserby when you're facing these low block type of setups. Not even necessarily Sheffield United doing that massively yesterday, but I think he's probably told them don't be shy about taking a hit from further out. And we've got players that are capable of doing that. Um, when we get into these situations where we play these games like against the West Ham's and the Wolves of the world, you need players that are able to do this type of thing because if not. Yes, you see what happens against the last time we played those two sides, and you're just slamming your head against the wall. Like if we had Enciso on the pitch against Wolves, if we if, if Buenanote did what he did against Sheffield United against Wolves, completely changes the, the 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 whole perspective of the game. You're on mute, Robin. If you're you're saying something particularly intelligent, so one of the big criticisms, or not criticism, but you know, the one that was rolled out under you know Potter was that it was almost you wanted to walk the ball into the back of the net every time. And to an extent, we've seen a little bit of that under the Zerbi with the low block thing, as you say. So actually, it does put something else in the defenders, you know, at the back four's head when they're thinking, hang on a minute, we can't just sit here on the edge of the six-yard box and just camp there and expect them not to do something. So I think you're right. He probably has. Um, probably a small number of players. He said, you know, you are, you're free to, to have a crack. Like, I don't think he's going to be encouraging Lewis Dunk to... You don't want Billy Gilmore shanking it into the stands. Well, he's another funny one, isn't he? Like, what's going to happen first? I know we're going slightly off piece here. What's going to happen first? Is Lewis Dunk going to score a free kick? Or is Billy Gilmore going to score one of these absolute howitzers from about 50 yards out? I really think that's a situation where you, um, you, you might actually be dealing with one of those sort of metaphors where <laughs> neither will ever happen. Um, and we'll waste so much time stop, trying to work out which one unstoppable force immovable object sort of type of thing where they're, no need, they won't nothing will ever come of either um, but it's a great point I think it does give us you know it does give defences something else to think about um, Evan Ferguson awarded the assist there which is you know not really the greatest assist in the world, considering the strike was it didn't matter who passed him the ball. But prior to this point, obviously, Evan Ferguson did have the ball in the net um, and it was disallowed for, rightly so, for, for offside. Yeah. Bit of a shame, but you would expect that to give him a bit more confidence, uh, Evan Ferguson, a, a guy that we've we've sort of complained about for his recent performances. He looked a bit sharper yesterday, but still, still not quite there. So hopefully more to come for Ferguson. What do you think, Craig? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't look too happy at all, did he? I like I watched the I watched the highlights back this morning, and uh, yeah, he was a bit he was a bit sour faced, probably because his goal got chalked off. But um, but he looked good, yeah. And I think this comes down to again, we we touched on it at the top of the pod, right? Where Sheffield United weren't afraid of playing, like they they were they were in that block, but only when they needed to be. And we'll talk about their two goals as well and and how they worked. But um, they came to play, and I think they're. It sort of it obviously worked in our favour. It tends to naturally when when we play as well. But he looked good holding up the ball, being able to shrug off defenders and be able to keep that ball in a in the final third and then play it off. Um, it's exactly what you want. It's exactly what Danny Welbeck does. It's exactly what you expect from Evan Ferguson as well. Um, 
strong in the air. Shame, like you said, rightly so, got called off, but you have to be in those positions and they won the penalty the other side as well in the second half. So I thought he was good. I think you're, you're seeing more and more. I think the expectation's far too high for, for someone of yeah. his age. Um, and we just need to keep that into into consideration. The same with, with Buonanotte as well, is that there's there's a, a level of understanding here that you can't do that day in, day out because he wouldn't be playing for Brighton otherwise. He probably feels a little bit aggrieved as well. You'd imagine this is this is a guy that's probably got high as as high expectations of himself as as everyone prob- everyone else probably does of him now at this point, and he's just then witnessed the guy that, despite having number nine on his back, does not play in the number nine position for this club, score a hat trick, and he hasn't scored for a while. Uh, we'll talk about Jao Pedro's performance as a whole and how. I don't think any of us could have possibly anticipated how successful Jao Pedro has been so quickly for this club. Uh, but let's talk about the first penalty. Was this even a penalty for you? Robin, what did you think? It's one of those ones that I'm absolutely delighted to get it when it's for us. But if that's given against us, I'm probably raging and chucking the phone out the window. Um, it is, it's the classic you've seen them given scenario for me it there was it was minimal contact but you know what he's he's proven himself to be absolutely excellent at getting penalties not just taking them getting them and that is clearly an art in and of itself one thing for me though is it just felt like if he just stayed on his feet which he, he clearly went down right he was tripped a little bit but he he went down he could have just scored <laughs> I, he was there it was just absolutely one on one it was basically a penalty from that position josh craigan any thoughts on that we've got josh back for who knows how long at this point i think it's working now i do i like i've restarted everything and i'm not getting the little like thing telling me that my internet is like from the poverty world of just bad things so hopefully it's alive again um yeah, I, th- I think that we've come to realise, and it's something that we've wanted for a little while, really, that we've talked about for a few years, that we're too nice uh, as a football mm. team. And if we're going to grow in a European stage uh, and in the Premier League, we need to learn how to be a little bit less nice. And one of those ways is having players like Bonanote and Pedro, who are quite happy to go down at the slightest touch of contact. Um, and appeal vociferously, <laughs> regardless of whether it's really a penalty or a free kick or not. And he's ten from ten this season. It, you know, the stats don't lie. He's he's going down, and he's clearly going down in a in a way that he's feeling legitimate contact. Whether it's enough to go down or not, I think we all agree it's not. But that's all right because he's detecting the foul, and he's intelligent enough to not be nice enough to try and take that shot and score. He knows he's going to score a penalty every single time at this point. So why not just go down and win the penalty, right? Like he's, Buonanotti isn't there yet. He's going down with uh, with a lot less intelligence when he makes those decisions. Uh, but for Pedro, he seems to, at what, 21, mastered the art of feeling a, feeling a touch. And uh, I mean, the best in the world, that was for Ronaldo, right? Like he, he has always been unbelievably good at feeling the slightest touch for a guy that's like essentially built like a Greek God. And like, he can like feel like 
you know, your hair touch his kneecap and he's on the floor and like VAR will see enough of that contact to say yes. So for me, like, yes, it was a penalty. The contact was absolutely there. It was a lazy, like, it was just like, he was just totally wrong footed. The defender was, and he'd probably have been better off trying to just see if he could take the shot because for the most part, prior to yesterday's absolute blast that he took, like we've seen that Pedro isn't exactly great taking shots in open play <laughs> compared to compared to the penalty shot. So he probably should have just let him go and see what happened. We we have to be at the point here where Xiao Pedro can already be classified as the the, the best penalty taker that we've seen. It uh, he he just seems. I think he's eleven from eleven, isn't he? Actually. But there were some mad quotes coming out yesterday as well. For me, the people that were at the ground that saw the way he took the penalty, um, I think he came out talking about in training how he takes multiple penalties before every game this season and he's only missed one uh, in training. Like His technique is just unbelievably good. I was talking, I mean, I was talking to someone, it's almost, it's quite akin to that Jorginho one, isn't it? It's his own little version mm. of that. You kind of know exactly what's coming. I mean, I enjoyed, I, I, on the clip I saw, He's actually midway taking midway through taking the second penalty. He's already smiling because he knows he's sent the goalkeeper the wrong way. He's not even kicked like he's not even kicked the ball yet, and he already knows what's happening. That's the opposite of when I used to take penalties. I was already sad part way through <laughs> taking the penalty because I knew I'd scuffed it. Yeah. That's not why. That's why we don't have Joe Pedro doing this podcast, and you. Yeah, I mean, he'd probably be quite good at the podcast, wouldn't he? That's the sad. That's the sad thing. Um, yeah, it, it's just it, I, I'm trying to find this quote while we're talking here, but I th- it's, I'm paraphrasing here. But basically, someone said something along the lines of, "He doesn't ever eat, look at the ball. He's constantly looking at the goalkeeper, and as he makes his motion to lead up to the ball, he waits for the keeper to put pressure on whichever foot he he ends up." basically jumping off from so he knows the direction the keeper's going based on the foot that's putting the pressure down and he just plants it in the opposite corner and normally i read stuff like that and i think well that's just bullshit mate you've just drawn a conclusion from something but we've now got enough sort of examples to to make us sort of feel like that's probably actually true ridiculous he's just, he's, he's just really good at it isn't he i think you, you know, the other thing is, sorry yeah go on no no go on I was going to say the other weird thing is that normally you go normally players when a penalty is given, most players are kind of trying to rush through the whole thing, right? They want to get this thing over with as quickly as possible. They don't like the tension. Going back to that Spurs game where VAR gave us a penalty, they hadn't decided whether it was going to be a penalty yet. Charles Pedro had picked the ball up and was standing on the penalty spot for about five minutes before we'd even been given a penalty. Which is just so, it's the opposite to what you expect, right? You think you want to minimise the amount of time you spend in that pressure situation. But he seems to be the opposite. Which must do a goalkeeper's head in when you go, this guy really isn't scared of this at all. Like, there's nothing you can do to put him off. He's got the reputation now as well, right? So, you you sort of, you've won six out of your ten penalties, you've taken all ten, you've scored all ten. Um the pressure is now on the goalkeeper as opposed to to Jao Pedro because the you know his his previous ten penalties just tells the story. So he has nothing to be scared of. He's fully confident, um, and yeah, it's just 
it's just a surefire goal, isn't it, really? It just gets to that point. And you go back to that where he's like, okay, if Jao Pedro feels the contact and he knows it's, or he's pretty sure it's going to be a penalty, he's absolutely taking it because he knows he's going to score from 12 yards. Whilst if he continues to play, there is a chance that he's going to miss or there is a chance that, you know, that could go a little bit awry. So, um, yeah, he's 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 mastered the art of getting the penalties and he's also mastered the taking. So, you know, if if it's going to be a penalty, he's 10 from 10, he knows he's going to score it. Um it's just a an, an easy goal for him. Um and 10 and we're we're just about to roll into February. Um that's silly, isn't it? 18 goals in 30 appearances this season for Shark Pedro. And he doesn't play in the number 9 position. Uh, I know he's taken a shit ton of penalties, right? That's the that's the caveat there, but uh, specifically looking at the cup performances that he's had six goals in six Europa League appearances, five goals in two FA cup appearances is what I've got in front of me. That's obscene. Um, and this, uh, like we said, especially for a guy that's applying pl- his trade out on the left wing, mostly uh, in- absolutely ridiculous. So we, we sort of got to this point in this game, right? We're uh, partway through the first half, 29 minutes in, we've seen a banger from Buenanotte. Jao Pedro's done his penalty masterclass. Cruise control. Great. You, you tune all up. Uh, turns out the cruise was the Costa Concordia uh, because we did our best attempt at essentially just trying to shoot ourselves in the foot. Uh, Sheffield United decided to just put a scything pass through the right side from their perspective or down the left side of our defence. Uh, cross comes in. No one's marking the guy in the middle. Easy goal, gets checked for VAR. He's completely onside. What the hell happened there? Well, it's a good, it's a hell of a finish for one. I quite enjoyed that. Like the number of times you see that first time finish go over the bar. Um, the slightly I didn't thing, enjoy it, by the way. That's just something that might just be you. <laughs> well, I mean, you can enjoy it after the, at the end of the game, right? Like in hindsight, you can. You can have a slightly patronising little round of applause <laughs> um, to go, yeah, nice goal. Um, but Verbruggen kind of with the assist, basically palming it at almost the perfect speed for him to just be able to not even have to blink to put it in the top corner was slightly concerning. Josh, uh, I, I don't think we want to get into a goalkeeper debate here, but thoughts on <laughs> thoughts on the goal and how sloppy the defending was? Yeah, Verbruggen doesn't trust his defenders at all, does he? Uh, I don't know whether Steele has a more ingrained trust due to just sheer length of time with the team, uh, but Verbruggen doesn't trust them at all. And frankly, it's hard to blame him because neither do we as spectators watching them, uh, and rightfully so with some of the defending that took place in that last 10 minutes of football in the first half. It was atrocious, wasn't it? Like I, I know that a back three isn't the norm for us, but we've been having these problems all year long with a back four anyway. Um, we are just absolutely shocking at defending our man, like to a man. Um, and it was a, it was, you talk about like a, a masterclass from Pedro, like that last like 10 minutes of football was a masterclass in like how not to defend. Uh, in any way shape or form under pressure because we like capitulation was like an outrageously perfect word for it um obviously in hindsight we can look back on it and think like well it didn't end up mattering but we go back up there in two weeks uh and we're not going to get that lucky twice right so we really need to 
just figure our shit out, man. Like, it's just not acceptable. Like, that kind of defending was shocking. Um, and, I, and I'm not even going to put it all on for Bruggen, honestly, um, because I, I don't think he trusts them. And and like I said, I, I don't either in their current state. So it's it's hard to argue with him. No, there's... We've we've already had a bit of a go at Adam Webster. But firstly, I'm, I'm talking specifically for this first goal for the time being. The ball that they played through was excellent. It was a really excellent pass. If you, if you watch it, as soon as the ball, just before the ball struck, Van Hecker tries to jump up uh, for an offside trap. Adam Webster, not on the same page there, uh, did not do that. And as Van Hecker's timing was off anyway. He moved at the wrong time. So you could argue it's fundamentally Van Hecker's fault. Then what happens is he's lost his runner completely, Van Hecker, because he's, he's wrong-footed. And then there's one other guy that's on the other side of the pitch. Webster's not close to him because the guy's sitting between Webster and Hinshelwood, where we've got the gap between the wing back and the back three. And then this the, 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 the player just coasts through. Adam Webster's too slow to catch up. Hinshelwood's too far out of position. And we've completely been done there. So it was a combination of a, a variety of things. But between Van Hecker... Webster's positioning and then Hinchwood's positioning in relation to Webster, it was a bit of a shit show. Eagles Again, as well, isn't he? Eagles just, I'm not quite sure what Eagles doing, but he's not adding much to proceedings at this point. He went out he, to cover, didn't he? He went out to cover the cross and was, and that, like, it, like, it wasn't, it was just, odd, that. It, just it? it just, no, it just added to the issues because Purvis yeah. hadn't, couldn't keep up with, uh, because of the quality of the pass, Purvis was wrong footed. Eagle went across the cover and it in hindsight it'd have been better off of staying narrow. Um, yeah. And I don't know whether that's like I don't know whether that's him trying to like automatically cover on instinct or whether he thought like, you know, I've been playing left back the last couple of games, the other two will figure it out and I'll like purpose myself as a quick left back here, but it was it was a bad decision either way. <laughs> because it, got, it was yeah, we just goal, got so. to Zerby, didn't we, really, with that goal? Like they spotted they spotted that we had, that we were high up the pitch, and that one killer pass through would basically just cause carnage in our defence, which is normally what we love doing to everybody else. So you've kind of got to take it on the chin, <laughs> but you know when it gets done back to you. Yeah, it was it was a combination of Igor and Gross weren't weren't able to track back. <laughs> Weirdly, the the pacey our two paciest players couldn't couldn't track back, but it was Hamer or whatever, the guy that ultimately put the ball in the back of the net. So yeah, it was, it was not our finest moment. And then we sort of did the same crap two minutes later, was it? Something like that, five minutes later? It was right at the end of the first half. I think it ended up being like the 53rd minute or something like that. Again, they tried to cut down our left flank um, and put a ball in and seemingly we didn't even bother to try to stop that. Any any thoughts on that goal? Or was it rather forgettable for you guys? Just just quickly to all three of you, what what do you make of Gustavo Hamer? Because I've saw a little bit of him at Coventry in the playoffs, and I've I've obviously seen little bits of him here and there on like match of the day and stuff. And he's a total like enigma to me. Like I can't decide if he's actually proper class or if he's like out of shape and shit. Like I can't, and there's a big difference between those two things. But like, I actually don't know which one he is, or if he's both. Like a bit of a John McGinn, like where where he's like on his days absolutely brilliant, but like actually when it's not on his day, he's just like a slightly chunky, out of shape 
crap footballer. Like, I, he's a weird player. Like, and I know that sounds bad. Like, I'm not exactly the most in shape person in the world, but I'm also not playing for Sheffield United, earning seventy grand a week. So, like, what do you like? What do you make of this guy? Like, he's weird to me. I've always thought he was okay. I think the the John McGinn comparison is probably very apt, right? As I think obviously not as consistent. I think the, the the spectrum of where he's good and where he's bad is a lot wider than maybe most Premier League footballers. But like you said, like on his day, he's a very tidy footballer and can run a game by himself. I think there's there's no doubt about that. He did that in a championship rather comfortably. Um, but you're just seeing the chasm between the the Premier League and Championship at the moment where that consistency level is just not there. Um, yeah, I to the the first the first goal. He was just right place, right time, right catalogue of errors from ourselves means that they get a goal, um, and he just seems to pop up in the right places. It, it doesn't necessarily mean he's world class, but I think he's just there. A couple of opportunities there, and he's took them, which is fair play. I think that both of those goals are potentially even self inflicted. So um, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, second goal is a kind of trailing leg from Igor, isn't it? Playing him on side. Ultimately. Yeah, but uh, not to bundle back on him, but Webster just decided not to mark the guy that ended up heading the ball in. Yeah, it looked like he was trying to push the guy offside, which kind of would have been seen it. Like it wasn't. I think if Igor's leg hadn't been trailing, it would have worked. Yeah. Well, so. again, it goes back to the the tired thing that we keep saying, and 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 I, I think you commented on it um, specifically, or Craig did to Webster a little bit earlier, right? How often have we seen Igor Webster and Van Hecker play together as a back three? I doubt. I, given that Webster's only just really come back, and before Never? Webster was out injured, Igor wasn't really playing or hadn't played much. I potentially that might have been the first time without Dunk to marshal the line. Yeah, like it, and then this is what happens you get players that aren't and then you have Ruben who's you know not got as good doesn't look like his communication is as good with the back four as Steele's is um because you know for the Arsenal goal you had was it it was Van Hecker and Verbruggen just not communicating wasn't it and basically leaving was it Gabriel Jesus basically free at the back post with nobody there so yeah that combination of having your your second best goalkeeper in terms of communication a back three that hasn't played together and not having Lewis Dunk, who normally marshals it. Um, it would have been difficult anyway without any of the the other bits and pieces thrown in. But it was a nice little throwback to that period where we used to concede two goals immediately in succession. So that was nice to see that, you know, we could, we've still got that in the locker. We've not totally put that to bed. Happened right. with Alanga too. Alanga at Forest, exactly the same goal early on for Bruggen and his uh, fullback. No mm. communication between the two of them. So that is a bit same goal. Answer. Yeah, yeah. I don't think <clears throat> the 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 tinkering is part of Deserby's whole thing. But I think he you can tinker a little bit. But as soon as you take out the core cogs and components in that whole setup, and, and obviously for the backline, that that is Lewis Dunk that's when you get into these situations. I think we only concede one, if not no goals in this match if Lewis Dunk is marshalling the defence from, from the first yeah. minute. Um, I think, I, I think either <laughs> Steele or Dunk. Right, yeah. I, I think I agree. I have neither Dunk nor Steele, I don't think, at this point. Uh, and clearly, Deserby thought the same because 
out goes Igor in the 62nd minute and in comes Lewis Dunk. But anyway, just slightly before that, we, we have half time after none of us were feeling good at half time. We were all thinking, what the hell has just happened? What are we going to do now? The home fans are suddenly going to come out second half. They've got the belief now. Uh, the momentum shifted. Doesn't matter though, because we come out aggressive. Deserbi's pumped them all up at half time and we get awarded a penalty. I'll be honest with you. There wasn't even a thought in my mind that this was a penalty. I thought it was just a goal kick and we're just going to move on. And Evan Ferguson just didn't get enough power on his header. What was the thought? Was this a bit of a soft penalty as well? Or was it, I mean, I guess technically it was a penalty. It was a stonewall penalty. Like I can only assume the amount of time it took for them to decide was because they were having to compose themselves after watching that choice defending that that fella made. Like, what is he doing? Like, his arms are in the air, like a wacky, waving, inflatable, unflaming tube man. Nice. Like, what is he doing? They're so, like, they're lit. I don't, I don't even know how he got the machinations in place to put his hands where he did and jump with any kind of force at all. Like, it just looks like a, such an abnormal position for the human body to be in. And like, he, and like Ferguson essentially was left heading his arm into the port because it was so bizarre. Like to me, it was the most obvious pen. Like it was so bad, like so out of position, like such an unnatural spot for his I'm arm sort of with Adam. and needless. I didn't see it. Like the angle that I was looking at it first time, I didn't see it. But then obviously as soon as you see a single replay from a different angle, you go, mm. yeah, the bloke's just punched the ball here, hasn't he? That's definitely a penalty. I'm with you. It's a really bizarre one, I can't, I'm with you, John. I can't get my head around how physiologically he's, had, he's managed to do that. No, Ferguson couldn't get his head around it either. Um, and the second point is like, we've seen, you know, we've seen ha- penalties given for handball where people are doing far more natural things with their arms than that. So if you're going to do something like that, then you've just got no, you've just got no defense at all. It's just daft. I'm not even trying to show, I'm not even sure what he was actually trying to do. But yeah, penalty, Stonewall penalty. Once you see it, uh, Craig, I'm, I'm assuming you're probably in agreement there. Yeah, yeah. I was going to do something incredibly rare and say I can't believe the ref actually saw it. And I thought the ref was quite good. So I, yeah, and, and that's that's what I'm saying. This is the rarest part of the podcast. Is yeah, like I thought the ref was actually quite good. And so for for him to to see that when nobody else did and was that sure and just giving it straight away, fair play to him. Let's Very good he, breath. We, he, he gave both goals on side when they were. He gave the hands ball when it was. VAR just confirmed all of his decisions. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Craig. Play. I think you're absolutely. It's. I'm glad you brought it up because and he's only we, just we love started. to talk about shit refs. <laughs> and he was yeah, he's really only just solid in the EFL as well. Like he's only a couple of months in. Yeah, I'm looking at this. His first game was in in April of 23, and then he didn't have another game for. Seven months. Sonny Singil is his oh, name. Yeah, I heard comment, commentary said it was part time. Thing of him obviously being part-time. the first um, like South Asian referee for like a decade, I think, to referee in the EFL. So it was quite. I remember there was a few news stories around. I think when obviously this early in the season when he started to go in, but I mean, if he continues to perform like that, he's going to be in the Premier League pretty quickly. You'd have th- you'd have thought. Well, he has a functioning brain and two eyes, so I think already I'd put him on Champions League duty. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is the highest profile games ever refed. 
previous before this was was Forrest Blackpool in the FA Cup. Um, so this was his most senior thing. L- let the record show that this podcast, when there is a rare occasion that a referee does not the dumbest thing possible, we provide credit and praise. Um, I don't expect to hear this again for probably another year. But you Unless know, he also did until he's back on. Yeah, he's back. <laughs> he actually, he did something that very, very few refs do, which always irritates the hell out of me, which is he actually gave an advantage and then pulled it back for a free kick when we didn't yeah, yeah. get advantage. Whereas most referees play advantage and then immediately forget that they've just played advantage from a foul and then they just carry on with whatever the next decision is. He actually watched the passage of play and goes, no, nah, they didn't get anything from that. Let's pull it back for a free kick. Which is obviously what... It's sad that you have to call out referees when they do that. Whereas it should be just the norm in how they referee. But I, I thought it was excellent. Really excellent. We... Jao Pedro obviously steps up, does Jao Pedro things after the penalty discussion had on that. And then we tried our best a handful of minutes later to let Sheffield Giants get back in the game again. More abhorrent defending from Van Hecker, where he tried to win the ball, knocked the player over, but basically just passed the ball to the on-running Sheffield United attacker. Uh, Adam Webster, again, is marking nobody. Uh, Igor is marking nobody. Uh, Hinshelwood is somewhere on the pitch, but not where he arguably should be. Uh, The ball goes out to the left-hand side. Igor does not track his runner and stands in the middle, ball-watching, and a guy has a shot on goal and arguably should be scoring that. Uh, that was on the 59th minute. Three minutes later, Igor is taken off the pitch for Lewis Dunk, deserving a scene enough. I do not think Igor starts the next game. Uh, I think we go back to a back two and we are looking at Lewis Dunk and Van Hecker because that was not his finest performance either. Uh, thankfully, that was a brief moment in time. Sheffield United did not score. The universe did not twist and go out of our favour. Uh, because João Pedro is a Brighton player and put the team on his back once again, scores another goal to seal his hat trick. Thoughts great on this goal. one? Just yeah, great goal. I think we've talked about it's unusual that you know he's not that great with the non-penalty chances normally. Although having said that, you know his two most you know his two fairly recent ones have been that clutch Marseille goal right at the end, which was a really good finish, and then this one outside the box so you know he it's a great finish whether you know whether or not it's the confidence from already having two goals like whether he scores that if he hasn't scored any before in the game not sure but definitely at that point you know he's oozing confidence Uh, great finish you know what's interesting about this one as well is now Lewis Dunk is on the pitch marshalling the back line properly look who got the assist for this goal Van Hecker is pushed up on the right wing and passes this ball to João Pedro, who, because we've got the overload of the additional man there, there's two Sheffield United defensive midfielders running towards Van Hecker. João Pedro is stood on his own in the D and then just strikes the ball into the bottom left-hand corner. Uh, you don't get that when Lewis Dunk is not on the pitch uh, Van Hecker doesn't have the confidence to push up into that position. So another thing where we saw that positive change from De Zerbi, we get some semblance of control back into the defensive line and, and it, it creates attacking opportunities, not just deficiencies in the, uh, removing the deficiencies in the back line. Um, after that, we actually were comfortable and the game was just beyond Sheffield United at this, at this point, wasn't it, Craig? Yeah, yeah. I think 
once once you got sort of that, well, I say insurance, but we were tuning up at the same time and still messed that up. But once you get to like the 65 minute mark, again, just the, the game naturally just gets away from them. I think energy wise, it sort of tones down a little bit and and you kind of just sap the energy out of them, um, which is something that we're, we're really good at doing. Um, you put Lamptey on, you put Lalana on, you try and sort of get a little bit more energy as well for, for our side too. Uh, and it, it seemed fine from then, right? Like, it, it was just like, okay, let's just see this out. We, we don't need to do anything stupid, anything crazy. Don't need to play a high back line that we're going to get penalised for, right? Let's just do our thing. Um, and plain sailing from there. So, you know, one, once you get that fourth goal, it really knocked the stuffing out of them. And uh, it was just a, a means to an end, wasn't it? Yeah, and and uh, Josh obviously rounded it out nicely. Good old Danny W., with a pretty nice finish. Caused some problems, didn't he? From the minute he came on, he ran those channels to death for the, what, 20 minutes he was on for. Um, and he just caused them no end of issues. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, it, I mean, I think we've, I can't believe that, like I say it, but like, I think I said it last week, but like we've missed him, haven't we? Like just that extra dimension going forward. Um, I mean, it's even more apparent when there's no Adinger and no Matoma and no fatiguing, so on and so forth, right? But he is uh, in CISO. Um, he's just, he's a breath of fresh air when we bring him on. Uh, and that Sheffield United defence would just already run ragged. And uh, I think, you know, the way we play and we talk about all of the possession we had um, in a game like this where there is no second chances, right? Like you have to try and go and win the game. Like when you've had the amount of ball we've had, like I think it is moments like that where you start seeing the consequences of that for the opposition because they looked tired. They looked out of shape in terms of their, their tactical positioning. And Danny Welbeck, being Danny Welbeck, was able to just exploit it over and over and over again in that last 10, 15 minutes. Um, and fair play to him. Great strike. I thought he was going to square it. I wanted him to square it. And he just absolutely lashed it. Uh, shocking keeping as well, I thought. Horrendous. A lot better. But Danny won't care, will he? It's another goal for him. Um, and, you know, well-deserved just for the amount of running he put in in that last half an hour. I thought he worked really hard. And I'm really glad he's back. I really am. Um, and... To me, like I, I'm, I'm dropping Ferguson and starting Welbeck on Tuesday, no doubt about it. No, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think you'll get too many arguments there. Um, I, by the way, Jao Pedro was absolutely thundering into the box when Danny Welbeck got that ball. Like he was ready. That's to why I said it. I thought he was yeah. square for sure. He was going like the clappers to get in there, uh, and it was uh, he was very close to to rebounding. Quite honestly, if the keeper decided to play like a goalkeeper and, and, and not just have the ball bubble underneath him. Um, but uh, they nearly scored a bit of a wonder strike at the end, didn't they? Sheffield United, a bit bizarre. I don't know, we don't need to linger on it, but cannoned off the crossbar, didn't it? Uh, yeah. Not that we were particularly scared at that point, but still. Yeah. It'd be another, would have been another little patronising round of applause. <laughs> Yeah, quite a few. But again, this is what this is. Uh, this is why um, I'm not going to just continue. I will get off my soapbox about this. But it's so nice to see a side play football against us because it could have easily been a very different game for them, right? If if we did concede uh, on that counter attack that one point and they made the game three three, they're they're completely within their rights to yeah. come away and win this game. They weren't just playing for it, just silliness. And maybe it's just because it's a cup game and there's no point of getting a draw here. But it was. Uh, I, I respect to them for doing that. 
um, which was. But, which I mean, was they good. had some. They've already had joy doing against it this season, right? Already. Yeah. They saw. You know, they had that spell, that last thirty-five minutes at the Amex. Obviously, we were down to ten men, weren't we? De Hood had done his, done his, uh, his red card by that point. But they knew that we were not in the squad again, De Hood, at all. Not even on the bench today. If you're not, if you're not yes, getting so. in the squad in the FA Cup round, when you look at the number of people that are away or injured, um, then, you know, I think the writing's on the wall, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I think Sheffield United knew that we are vulnerable in certain situations where you actually take the game to us. Uh, like you say, Josh, I'm going, I'm going to the league game in a couple of weeks' time, whenever it is, so... I'm fully expecting, <laughs> fully expecting not the same result as yesterday. <laughs> to put it that way, um, it's a weird, I think it's a Sunday. It's a Sunday game. It's like a weird on the 18th, 18th of February. That one, yeah, that's yeah. the fella. So, but yeah, I mean, I thought they were thought they were good. I was given the fact that we seem to spend the last three years being linked with Ben Barrett and Diaz. I was expecting him to score at some point. Yes. Um, but no, it's good, you know, into the next round and, you know, an unbelievably disappointing draw <laughs> away to Wolves for people that haven't seen the draw, um, which is going to be midweek as well. The fifth round is all midweek um, and it's the week before our European away game, I think. Oh, brilliant. Correct. So, um, yeah, all round, not a particularly good draw, really. We saw, you know, Wolves are a different, as much as they didn't really try and play football against us, you know, um, in the last home game, they are a different animal to what they've been over the last year, 18 months or so. So it will be a tricky game. Transition you know, they, from a wolf. Yeah, I mean, they can go, you know, they can legitimately go for this because, you know, they, their good form of the last few months has pulled them well out of the relegation picture. They don't have Europe to worry about. So this is, if I'm, you know, if I'm Wolves, this is a game that you're legitimately targeting to go, you know, we've got a, you know, we've got a chance here. The, the only benefit that we have here is that there's, is there's no point for them camping out for a nil-nil. No, no, exactly. So that's the only minor benefit that we They're have beyond the league game that we played. So um, there is that. Um, no prizes here for Man of the Match, I don't think. Is anyone not picking Shao Pedro? No, it's pointless, isn't it? Pointless, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Just one thing, just in in the stats that I thought was fairly interesting. Though, uh, you know, we did wasn't his greatest game as we talked about, and he was taken off at the sixty something minute. Evan Ferguson had a hundred percent pass accuracy uh, on twenty seven passes, which for a guy that's playing as the central striker with his back to goal, having to hold up the ball, that's quite good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is fairly Got impressive as well, didn't he? he yeah, did. we talked about that. But, yeah, you know, I could have assisted that. You could have assisted that one. <laughs> no, I'm not did, saying much, is it? Look, he did look. Um, he looked some way back towards the Evan Ferguson that we've. Well, I'm gonna say that we've become used to. We didn't really have enough time to become used to him, but you know, the Evan Ferguson that we saw when he first arrived on the scene. Um, you know what's crazy is if if we get one striker. And I say, I'm not including Jao Pedro in this, right? If we get an Evan Ferguson, a Danny Welbeck, whoever it may be, to get a goal every other game, combine that with the, the speed and pace of which Jao Pedro is scoring and then the bangers that the other guys are just throwing in every now and then as well, like we're going to get back to that crazy high scoring situation that we saw at the start of the year 
um, because there'll just be goals coming from everywhere. I mean, Christ, who hasn't scored a goal on this team at this point? We've seen Hinshelwood pop up with goals. We've seen Estupidian bang goals in. We know what Jao Pedro is doing. It really is like, what, yeah, Billy Gilmore and Igor? Van Hecke scored. Uh, it is. I mean, yeah, it's it's Gilmore and Eagle. And Web has Webster scored this season? No. <laughs> Probably not. That would have been one positive. Um, all right, let's. I know we've got and Craig. I know Craig's got a jump here in a few minutes. We've probably got two other fairly important topics, unless I'm missing one to talk about. Uh, first is probably the managerial shakeups that are happening around the league. Obviously, the vast majority, or at least half, of Liverpool fell to their knees in Aldi the other day, crying, um, absolute tears after hearing. The father of Liverpool was was walking away from the club. Um, was this the biggest overreaction you think you've ever seen in football? So, Just, what's going on here? Uh, like I said on the WhatsApp group last night, like one, the way they're talking about him is that he's died, right? Like, let's <laughs> just get that out there. This is like this is not a football manager leaving. This is like this is like someone has died. And two, yeah, I get that they've won. You know, he has won kind of every major trophy for them whilst he's been there. And, you know, particularly that league title after they, you know, hadn't won it for, you know, 30 years, whatever it had been. But it's still one, you know, it's still one league title. This is not like someone who has led a domination of the league to the extent that Sir Alex Ferguson did or that Pep Guardiola has done. Like, it just, it. I totally get, like, I totally get that you know he's achieved things that a Liverpool manager hasn't done in a while, and that's a big deal for them. But when you stack it up against the number of league titles that Ferguson won and what Pep Guardiola has done, like it's yeah, it it, it seems a bit over the top in my book. I mean, as this Liverpool fans, how could it not be over the top? Uh, I didn't just bring this up because I give a shit about. Liverpool and their management, but obviously the knock-on effect here. Um, and you couple that with with Xavi Hernandez saying he's going to step down as Barcelona coach in June uh, because he couldn't manage his way out of a paper bag, is uh, put Roberto De Zerbi at the top of, well, not at the top, but second or third on the list of prospective managers for both of these clubs. I think if you look at the betting odds, I checked them a little bit earlier, uh, I believe De Zerbi is second to Xavi Alonso for the Liverpool job as of now, and third or fourth in the running for the Barcelona job behind Jurgen Klopp, uh, who seemingly, if he's that tired and run out of energy, probably needs more than about five days off to then go and take a Barcelona job. Uh, and then maybe the uh, Girona manager. And I think Jose Mourinho, of all names, who I Jose cannot Mourinho imagine. Is the current bookie's favourite. I mean, he's the former translator who basically... He's the reputation for Barcelona for Jose Mourinho is, is absolutely in the dirt, but uh, especially after what he did to like poking Tito Villanova in the eye and then you know all that yeah. stuff. Anyway, what do we think? Is Deserbi here next season? Yes, Josh Craig. I don't know. It, it, That's this, a fence this. sit. Yeah, it's a it's a classic fence sit. But uh, yeah, it's there's going to be there's going to be more high-profile managers leaving their post, I think. This is probably just the start. Um, I think a lot of people are going to shuffle around. Um, so, I don't know. It depends on entirely on how well we do this year. 
if we you ever we thought go, about going into politics yeah yeah i have yeah uh, gun to your head I, yes or no it's certainly here next year yeah yes all right josh uh i i will give you a yes or no but i agree with craig i think that the rest of this season shapes up truly whether he's here next year or not i think i don't what I'm gonna disagree i think if you look at the jobs right <laughs> so you, you talk about liverpool like Xabi alonso is he just ticks every single box right he has done great things at leverkusen he is a liverpool legend as a player he knows the club inside out like it's basically his job if he wants it and I know that you, people go, oh, is it the right time to take it, etc. How many times are you going to be in the position to be offered the Liverpool job, necessarily? Like, he's out of contract at Leverkusen in the summer as well. So, like, all of these factors come into play. Liverpool aren't going to have to pay to get anyone out of their contract. They can appoint someone who is not just Steven Gerrard, you know, who's won a league title in Scotland and then done sod all everywhere else. Like, this is someone who is, you know, leading a big club in Germany, is not lost a game all season, fending off Bayern Munich, despite Harry Kane, you know, scoring more goals in the Bundesliga at this point than anyone else has done in a season. So to me, like, he's going, if he's offered the Liverpool job, there is no way on earth that he's not taking it. And I think there's no way on earth that they're not offering it to him. So I think the Liverpool job is Xabi Alonso's. What about the man you job, though? Graham Potter. Like, I know I said this tongue-in-cheek. I genuinely think Graham Potter will go there. You don't think Potter goes to Palace? No, he's the book... Potter's the bookie's favourite for Man United at the moment. Comfortably so. Right, and I know that we've talked... I would love to see them in more pain. Like, I know we talked about... Obviously, Jim Ratcliffe seems to really like him and tried to get him to take the niece job. I just... Yeah, I just see him... If it's not Potter, I don't think it will be Deserby. And this isn't me looking at it through kind of the tinted spectacles, which is that the new owners won't have been in place long enough for a, a reputation to be established as to how they run that club. And I don't think Deserby takes the step into necessarily the unknown, as it were, of who am I going to work for? What's the vibe going to be like? Because he, right, like he is, I don't, even if like we have a disappointing end to the season, right? I don't think necessarily that's his, you know, his kind of one chance at a big job going out the window. Like he has replicated what he's done here at his other clubs, which is why we're interested. So I don't necessarily see him going to Man United just because we know that from his perspective, he, he needs everybody to be all in, right? Whether that's the owner, the CEO, everybody. He's that. Rashford is all in though at clubs in Belfast on Wednesday nights. So no. he would have that. <laughs> Barcelona is the only one. Barcelona is the one that would worry me because I know that they've been following him. It's the but football that club wants to play. They want to get back to football that football. That club wants to play. But having gone, having gone for in Xavi, a kind of club legend, etc., etc sort of untested as it were do they go for someone again who hasn't actually won anything major i mean there's such a gulf in class between what xavi's cv looks looked like i mean what was he coaching at 
one of the owls. Like Al Sad, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And prior to that was Barcelona B. He's not won anything. I mean, he's not been given yeah, no, a squad to win anything. No, agreed. But it's whether it's whether Barcelona will feel that they need to bring in somebody who is a proven winner. Who is that though? Who who's proven? If they can't get Klopp, if Klopp is taking time out, who on the market is proven? Because yeah, sure, Mourinho's proven. Mourinho yeah. is the antithesis <laughs> of everything Barcelona represents in footballing club. Uh, the horrendous football that he would he would put out. He just got sacked from Roma because he was too crap. He's lost it, Mourinho. He's done. He's a dr- he's a dinosaur in in a in a new age. So who else? I, I mean, you are looking at what is it, Michelle from Girona? The and he's doing an incredible job. Obviously, it's an easy transition because you've got a La Liga manager that's just going to move to another La Liga club. You could argue Unai Emery's being talked about. Is he going to leave Villa? He's got a pretty sweet setup there. Uh, I'd put I'd put Emery. I would if I was Barcelona, I'd be looking at Emery ahead of Deserbi. Hmm. I don't know if I, 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 I think Deserbi's got Deserbi is the is the number one guy on the market for a manager's job that plays attractive football that hasn't ever been given a shot at the top level yet. I know there's a lot of caveats there. I have one thing. Just to add to all of this, and I don't think he's going to Liverpool either, by the way. I think you're right. I think Xabi Alonso has taken that job. And obviously, Bayer Leverkusen is not going to come in for De Zerbi. They'll just go find someone else and do whatever they want to do. For me, that may end up being where Linders goes, by the way. Maybe he'll go there, something like yeah. that. Um, but for me, Barcelona is the, is the one. But the one thing that sticks in my head is that Barcelona are skint. Yeah. Can they afford Deserby? They sure as shit can't afford Emery. Can they afford Deserby? Like Deserby has like a literal transfer fee clause. Like we all know we all know this. Like they've been very clear about it. Like can Barcelona afford to essentially buy Deserby from us and his whole coaching staff and then pay them whatever they need to be a like a football management team? and then strengthen in the way they need to in order for that to happen. And then, bear in mind what we've just been hearing over the last couple of weeks that we've really not talked much about, but that Barcelona are very, very clearly bought into this new Super League. And I can imagine what De Zerbi's thoughts are on the idea of a Super League. Does that match his identity and philosophy as a football club? Mm. Yes, he could probably get them back to that play style, but everything they represent off of the pitch feels like the absolute, like, Deserby's worst nightmare in the way he wants to operate. And that's yeah. that's that's where I don't think that he's going to go to Barcelona. Definitely not Liverpool because of Alonso. Like, it's just such a no-brainer. Like, anyone else, I would be just flabbergasted if Alonso... And he's odds-on for that reason, right? It's, yeah. it's Alonso yeah. or bust. But for me, that's, that's where I get hung up on the Barcelona stuff. Not the... F- Barcelona Football Club... And Roberto De Zerbi on the pitch is a match made in heaven. Roberto De Zerbi and everything Barcelona currently represents off of the pitch gives me major pause in a good way for Brighton, <laughs> right? Because we all want to keep him as to, as to the viability of that deal going through at all. Um, and that's there is a logical, that's my point on it. It's a good a point. Good choice for Barcelona as well, which is they've got Rafa Marquez. Who obviously played for Barcelona for what a decade, probably. 
um, he manages their B team currently. So they if you're love looking promoting the B team, so if you love if you're looking coach. for a kind of like you say, Josh, if you're looking for a cheap option in terms of not having to buy someone out of their their contract, if you're looking for someone again in the Xabi Alonso mold who knows the club, who's captained the club through periods of success and has kind of cut their teeth in the Barcelona Academy in terms of the B team, then it ticks a lot of boxes for Marquez to come in and, you know, basically wait. Because Barcelona's finances are probably going to come round, right? Like, there's something's going to happen. They'll just sell more shit to the highest Yeah, player. they'll Spotify, Camp Nou, there's something else. You know, they're, set, they're selling their broadcast rights. Like, they've already done, like, all of this century. Levers on top of levers. Yeah, so they're going to do next century's broadcast rights. So they'll be fine. Um, so I think Marquez is probably, if they're looking for, you know, the, the cheaper option, then it's probably him. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I think, I think we'll have, my honest opinion is I think we'll have Deserby for this season and one more. And that takes him to pretty much his contract, right? I would imagine. I, look, I agree with everything that you've both just said. And that's, you've said a lot of rational things. I think if Barcelona comes for Deserby, which they arguably should, I don't think Bloom blocks it. And despite everything you've said, there's no way Deserby turns down a Barcelona. No one turns down Barcelona. You don't turn down Barcelona, you don't turn down Real Madrid. And that's pretty much that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm with Josh. I don't don't think they can I'm not I'm not convinced they can afford to do it. They'll find twenty million down the back of the sofa. But anyway, the point being is that there's so basically the consensus here is that Deserby stays probably hopefully for another season. I yeah. my suspicion, I'll go on the other side of that just to be contrarian, which is unlike me. Uh I, I think I actually think he he probably goes this summer. Um, which would be a great shame. There's just too many jobs. Oh, I think he goes, by the way. No, I think he goes. Oh, you do? Oh, you do. Yeah, I just don't think he goes to Barcelona or Liverpool. I don't where know does where he, he go goes. then? I don't know, but I just don't think he goes to one of those two. Uh, I think that we're going to get to a point at, at the very end of this season where we're going to have done quite well and he's going to have an end of season meeting and he's not going to like what he hears and he'll throw himself with some kind of ultimatum as to the fact that he doesn't feel supported and he'll get gaspoyated out of the club without Christ. You've, you've done a whole, like you've put a narrative to this. I didn't realize, I just thought it was a yes or no, but you've gone full story on it. It's just based, it's just based on almost a full calendar year of him asking for more signings and getting none of them. Like sooner or later, he either shuts up about it because it really is all just posturing or it actually isn't posturing and the straw breaks the camel's back somewhere. And if he thinks he can get more money and a more ambitious club, in his opinion, where he can win trophies, then I think he'll go. But the I don't think it's Barcelona or Liverpool. Um, does he... The elephant in the room is the fact that his family still live in Italy, right? So, how you know, is he looking for a move back? To, is his next move going to be back to Italy? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, like, is, I'm imagining... Uh, I'm Who can afford him there, though? People say, like, he's probably going to have quite a young family. So I don't know. Like, is it... That's the other unknown. 
I don't know. Well, you, I will say that let's just put a pin in this because it's going to we'll, we'll see how the rumors circulate over the over the course of the next few weeks. Because, again, Klopp and Xavi aren't going to be the only departures from, from their respective clubs. Um, well, Eric Ten Hag is on the brink, given that Newport have just equalized against Man United. Oh, my. Uh, the Rashford thing also. Let's not downplay that. That is an absolute. Like he is the he was of the one the where players. of all the people. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's not our problem, and it's funny to witness it. But the uh, let's talk about transfers, right? We are still bizarrely in the January transfer window, even though you might actually forget clubs are allowed to make transfers at the moment, considering how little business there's been. Um, we have been outside of uh, Barco. Kamari Doyle joined a, a sort of a youth level from Southampton. Lot of lot of hope about this guy's future. Yeah, I mean, it's wild that we're in the, you know, we are continuing our trend of paying millions of pounds for academy prospects, which is, I mean, the rumour, like, I don't know exactly how much we pay for him, but for this one, it's like, it is seven figures. It's a seven figure fee, um, which is wild. You know, we're not that far beyond, you know, never having spent that amount of money on anyone. Um, apparently he made his debut against us at the Amex and the Southampton game he came on. The end, towards the end of the season where we secured European football. Um, obviously, the kind of attention was elsewhere, so I didn't really note <laughs> a Southampton Academy prospect coming on in that game when we were doing our best to, you know, our best Albion impression of throwing something away. Um, but he is obviously very highly thought of. He seems to have been playing through the England age groups. Um, refused to sign a new contract at Southampton, which is why they've moved him along. Um, interestingly, it's Southampton's take on it is they couldn't offer him the guarantee of the minutes that he wanted, which seems a bit bizarre then that if a championship team kind of pro- chasing promotion to the Premier League can't guarantee him minutes, um, I'm not necessarily certain that he's going to get those minutes straight away with us. But no, he's just joined the club that's it's well, right, he's joined the bigger club. Yeah, I mean, good luck to him. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, good a good coup because, you know, for a long time, you know, the Southampton model for a lot of Albion fans was something we aspired to, right? Especially when the academy first kicked in. This is what we kind of envisaged. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to be, you know, it's nice to be uh, pinching their players. And, you know, after that whole weird sort of Nigel Atkins rivalry in League One, um, you know, the whole are you keeping up? thing for people of that vintage i don't think i'd be rolling out that reference ever again but you know it's nice to it's nice to bring it in Um, you know it is you know it's it's nice to um to to start pinching their players which is good Uh, and i know we also signed a a textbook australian goalkeeper yeah a mullet as well which is you know no transfer window is complete without bringing in um, you know, a goalkeeper with questionable facial hair and a mullet. Like, I mean, that's just. And you know, we're we're kind of going through the we're kind of going through like the the bingo card of signings, right? So you've got like the kind of South American wonder kid for the window is in the bag. We've got the kind of Taylor Richards, you know, academy prospect that everyone thinks is going to be the next big thing in the bag. We've got the goalkeeper with the mullet and the weird facial hair in the bag as well. So the only thing we're lacking is... Is a championship star, up-and-coming, mid-20s player that's a uh, fairly pivotal role in this club? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thoughts on that? And we're talking about Kian and Drewsbury Hall of Leicester, if, if people are picking up on that. Josh? Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, does it? Uh, could end up happening in the summer if Leicester fall apart, but I imagine by that point he'll be far too good for us. Uh, at that point, he'll be far beyond what we're able to pay, uh, yeah. and he'll either stay at Leicester um, or he'll get a move to a much bigger team than the Brighton of Albion, frankly. Um, it's a weird it's, one. It was, it's a bit bizarre a one because David Ornstein went in really hard on the story um, out of absolutely nowhere. So David Ornstein, obviously from The Athletic, for people that don't know, he's generally one of the... Tier 0.1 normally. Yeah, he's generally one of the, you know, the sources that really doesn't hang his hat on anything, um, you know, until there is some substance behind it. And it was a bizarre one because it came out of absolutely nowhere as far as I'm concerned. I hadn't seen any any rumours about this around. So it kind of ticked that box from that perspective, which is, you know, we went, we we used to go through that, well, it's similar to Jao Pedro, right? Like the Jao Pedro signing was sort of announced out of nowhere um, with no sort of, you know, there'd been no links or anything like that. So it kind of fitted the bill as, you know, the, the type of deal that we do. And it was odd that Ornstein had hung his hat on it quite as you know as hard as he seems as much as we praise Ornstein though this is a guy that came out five months ago with the headline Brighton reach agreement in principle with IX for Mohamed Kudus so it's not like he's you know Dead jumped, on. not hasn't jumped the shark before Ornstein as good as he is yeah um, that's fair but Sky but, Sports obviously just went totally the opposite way and we're just like no there's nothing in it um you know Leicester want 40 million um you know Leicester but, might want 40 million but you know it, He's not. He's not worth forty million quid. Like, well, he is to the Leicester fans. If you look at them, they were yeah. in uproar at this at this news that came out. Basically, saying, "Why on earth would we do this? Like, unless it's a financial fair play thing, and we've got to well, offload yeah, some be. money." But that's saying Jao Pedro is worth two hundred million quid to me. Doesn't mean that that's what we'd get if we sold him. Yeah. Um, I think objectively, the thirty million figure is a about right i think if you look at other obviously look jao pedro you know with that kind of figure so if you're looking at players that are performing are kind of stars in the championship and he's what mid 20s 25 25 um, he scored and assisted a lot this season yeah decent amount of premier league experience as well you know 30 million is probably about right i wouldn't be hugely well i i would probably be surprised to see it done but it is an odd one to have been picked up, you know, without a fair amount of momentum behind it. Seems a bizarre one. We'll have to say, uh, what, what, four days left, three days left of the window? Yeah, barely. We're recording this on the 28th to people listening, maybe a day or two later. So, yeah, there's a, only a handful of days left in this window. I think what's the main thing that's interesting to me outside of this, though, right, is 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 how much... Deserby is, in fact, maybe changing the transfer culture of this club uh, and and where we're at on this trajectory going upwards in, in terms of the footballing world and stature of the club. Famously, right, we don't do much in January transfer windows. And here we are getting fairly... There's no, it's, there's no smoke without fire here. Like This is clearly Brighton have had a verbal based bid that's happened. That's going to be around that 20 plus 30 million mark. So we're talking about trying to pull off a, a signing of a, of a midfielder worth about 30 million plus right at the tail end of January. So clearly that tells us a couple of things. 
Deserbi is not happy with the depth that he has in the, the, the squad still, especially in that central midfield area. I think we can point to Mohamed Dehu, uh, Mahmoud Dehu not working out, being probably one of the key pieces of that. Um, and the fact that that Bloom, Barber and, and the rest of the staff are willing to uh, make these these bids and transact in January. Uh, and that's that's big for us. That's interesting. That's an interesting shift. So even if it's not Keenan Jewsby Hall, it might be someone else. Because I don't. Was there any single Brighton fan that would was even talking about the idea of Keenan Jewsby Hall to, to to Brighton more than seventy two hours ago? Not even one. No, that's no. what I mean. That's why it's such. Remember a that. One. Remember that <laughs> when you think you're getting all those people who claim they're super sources from Brighton and Novarbian on the internet, guys. No one knew anything about Keenan Jewsby Hall. Until Ornstein threw it out, and then all of a sudden, all of them knew all along. Apparently, yeah, yeah, no, it's obvious. That's crazy, right? But you look at the deals we've done recently. That's obviously Jao Pedro one came out of nowhere, right? That's just announced that we've signed Jao Pedro, and everyone's just like, "What?" Ansu Fati one, no links in that. Suddenly, it's like, right, Ansu Fati's coming to Brighton, and everyone's just like, like, has FIFA just, you know, has has FIFA? By the way, another callback. We talked about this before. Don't, don't. Forget the importance of that Ansu Fati loan deal about relations between the club when it yeah. comes down to Deserbi and Barcelona. That is true. Um, but you look at other deals that we've done, you know, other Barco's the only one, right, that's kind of been trailed for a long time uh, in terms of, you know, us being linked and, you know, deals being done, et cetera. But most of them come relatively out of nowhere. So that's why. We, and that's how we have to operate now. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this last week. People will just come in and step in and offer, you know, five million more, and that's that. Um, I don't know about you, but we, we've talked a lot here. I'm getting a bit thirsty. If, if we want to, Josh, if, if we want to drink, maybe at the next Brighton game, how, how do we go about doing that? I love that segue, Adam. Uh, I do have one more. Perfectly natural. On we, yeah, I do have one more thing to touch on before we wrap as well. But uh, yeah, we are coming towards the end of 2024, uh, but we are in the final. Kind of what two, two or three rounds of the Afcon? Uh, we've obviously just had the FA Cup. We've got some Premier League action coming up in the middle of the week. Um, so yeah, feel free to to beat the January Blues uh, and watch every game with the atmosphere it deserves down at your local Green King at Sports mm-hmm. Pub. Uh, don't settle for a dodgy stream. Uh, if it's on the TV, it's on at your local Green King across their huge HD screens this January. Uh, if you download the Green King Sports app that we've talked about a couple of times on here, you'll also really receive uh, 10% off every single drink uh, whenever there's a game on. So you can't say fairer than that. Uh, and their venues offer a range of low and no alcohol options. Um, so dry January doesn't mean you have to settle for a worse sports watching experience. Uh Good luck and congratulations to all of you doing dry January if you've been successful. I feel like I just live like a dry life, so I've done fine. Don't know about you guys. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, the one, the one thing I wanted to touch on as well is this FA Cup that's coming up in uh, the end of February and the, the scenes we witnessed today um, at the Hawthorns. For anybody who's unaware, um, Wolves fans were in the West Brom end um, and caused an awful lot of trouble. Uh, really horrible scenes, really. I know that at the time it was kind of like funny to watch, but when you watch the uh, and you see the the injuries some of these people had, um, I think a ball boy was like badly injured as well, uh, like for just existing. Um, it, 
there's got to be repercussions here, right? Like this, there is got to, and they're quite severe, right? This is stuff from, this is eighties light, essentially. Like yeah, obviously, yeah. obviously it's nowhere near the same level as, as hooliganism back there. I'm sure there are a couple of old people listening to it immediately. Like, Oh, back in my day. Like I know, trust me. I trip, like, believe me, you were very cool and tough. Then I get it, but it was horrible stuff. And there have got to be massively powerful repercussions here. Do you think that that game is played behind closed doors, barring away fans? Do you think only Albion fans are allowed to that game? Do you well, think it's thought, a, it extends to the league? Like, what, what sort of punishment do you go, think? Do Wolves get kicked out of the out of the cup and we just I mean, the finals? I mean, that's the ideal scenario, right? I mean, that is probably a branch on this timeline, yeah. right? Like that from from that all the way to absolutely nothing happening. Like what? Like. What do we? What do you? What do you hope? For, what, what do you expect from this? Like, because I think we're going to see a really severe reaction here from the FA. I expect. I just there to don't be know what it's going to be. Reaction in the press, everyone to argue about it for days, and then I expect the punishment to not fit, to just not stack up to it. I expect it will be a fine. That's because, like, you generally, like, if they're not going to do, like, if you look at what's gone before with you know racism stuff, etc. Like they don't have a strong history necessarily of coming down very hard on this. The only thing is, is that when you get something violence like that, it becomes like the head, like you know, the pictures that you get from it of you know the people covered in blood, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm trying to choose my words carefully here because I don't want to say the wrong thing, but it gives you a more it kind of gives you a more clear picture that something's happened than necessarily where there's been a racist comment shouted from the crowd. Because with that, you don't have the picture necessarily that goes alongside it, if I'm making any sense. Um, you know, you, it's a very obvious that this is something very serious. So I don't know. And like you say, we've not had to deal with it on this scale I mean, what happened? I guess the last time was when that Birmingham was it the Aston Villa the Birmingham fan ran on and punched Jack Grealish, right? Well, we just yeah, had a, 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 a lad in the um, was it the Portsmouth whatever game yesterday yeah, running on a pitch trying off, to yeah. chase the bloody ref. It was a what was it? A, was it a Port? Was it a Port Vale? No, was it was it a Port Vale fan or was it a Portsmouth fan? Not one sure. Of, one, one of the it was a Port. One of the yeah, port. yeah. I, I did see brilliantly on Twitter that they. Um, they the club actually had quite an important grammatical mistake that they made in their tweet to condemn it um and they probably um they well, probably, probably removed gone. it now but originally they said we do condone the actions of the supporter <laughs> instead of we do not condone the actions of the supporter. I, I will add the latest that have come out is it was a Port Valve fan, by the way, but apparently the Wolves fans were singing Let Him Die as a West Brom fan covered in blood gets led away by police. So, um, interesting. Uh, outcome. yeah, it's just it's really sick. Like, I don't, I'm sort of with John, I mean, I don't really know because, um, you know, we haven't had to see it. I mean, it wasn't that, just you know, one fan either, right? Like, it was yeah. a crowd of them, like, and it stopped the game. And, like, it yeah, was yeah, delayed yeah. due to the fact that, like, they needed to get so much medical attention into their stats. Like, this yeah, isn't, yeah. like, some knobhead running onto the pitch and punching Jack Grealish, which got, is an absolute I mean, disgrace. 
he got jail time, didn't he? But I don't think anything happened. I don't think. I think probably the club would have got a fine from it. But this, I one, think they got a fine. This is this is far next yeah. to me. This is like way worse. Um, both in the amount of injuries that took place and cynically optics. Right, it looks terrible, as you said, Robin. Like you can get like a thing written the next day from forest talking about the fact that they don't condone homophobic behavior and their proud fans or whatever coming out and saying like they did over celebrate those a bit over exuberant so we kind of are okay with what they did but don't do it again like because you said like you say like no one like it's just like it's just a piece of text on a tweet that people are yeah. making a statement on you've got people with like crimson masks of blood like pouring down their faces yeah that's you've what i mean like that's I was kind of so it's difficult, like I say, I wasn't kind of trying to um, sort of, you know, talk it down in terms of comparisons to race. That's more vivid. It's more. Yeah, it's exactly. easier to see the, the the crime. Yeah, exactly. Vivid is exactly the word I was kind of searching for, which is it's front and centre. You know, that kind of thing, like that, is going to be on the front pages tomorrow. That's not going to be just on the back pages. That that image of you know the fan basically covered in blood, that is going to be on one of the front pages tomorrow, and when football moves from the front page to the from the back page to the front page for something negative like that then something's got to be done in terms of what the sanction is i'll be on i know he said tongue-in-cheek i'd be very surprised if it resulted in wolves being kicked out of the tournament i think that's highly unlikely um behind closed doors mm, not sure i don't know but as I said, it's re- very difficult to predict because we've not had anything at this scale for such a long time. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see how it nets out. Of course, we're the ones that are playing Wolves. Um, again, uh, with all that and the way that they play, just the just the most sort of garbage draw for us. But hopefully we, we smash them um, and not off the pitch. So... Uh, any other, I know we've, we've been talking a long time here. Any other thoughts? Obviously, through to the next round, that's great. We've got this game coming up against Luton on the 30th. What is that? Is that Tuesday? Tuesday, Tuesday oh, night. So, then some people Palace. might be listening on the same day. Okay. Yeah. Tuesday night, Luton, Saturday, Palace. Luton away. Any predictions for Luton away and predictions for Palace at home, scoreline wise? Win both. Yeah. Where we simply have to be looking at doing that, right? Like I know it's like obviously win both is be nice, but like we are not being arrogant or over expectant of our team of football players, even with the injuries we have, in expecting and hoping for yeah. six points from yes. those two games. So and you know, at some point, I, I say this for every Palace game, but at some point we are going to batter them. Like it's been coming for like three or four years. At some point, we are going to batter them. It would so, be quite nice if we smashed them so badly that this was the game where Roy was like, "I'm too old for this shit." Well, you know what happened last year? They lost one nil, and Vieira got the boot, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. So let's let's. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if we are the ones that basically kick off? get Roy out that ultimately ends up with Graham Potter taking the palace job. Like we might end up pushing that, that domino. I did. I did think about that. (laughs) I did. I mean, if they come to us and we put four past them, right. Four nil, four, one, five, two, even again, like 
like just a result like that where they're just they're just humiliated like I, it could well be like uh i've we've had enough we're doing it now i know we talked about the summer graham but we'll we'll bring you in now and we will not hold the next four months against you whatsoever like there's like even if it's written into the damn contract like that you're i don't know like ironclad or something like just get in and help us it would be wonderful i would love that yeah, yeah. well we'll see how that goes I, I'm, I'm in agreement this is a, this is a six points minimum four points couple of games here um anything less you're you're fairly distraught especially given you've got two draws on the trot um and let's face it even prior to that right our results in the league draw against Wolves draw against West Ham we got the three points versus Tottenham draw against Palace loss against Arsenal draw against Burnley you've got to have a couple of good results here our league form has not been good lately um and you 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 want this you want the six points there so it remains to be seen um if there's nothing else, I say we probably wrap here. For the people listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us live for those of you live. Um, we'll see you probably after that Palace game next Sunday and we'll talk yeah. about the, the the six points we gained from Luton and Palace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, between now and March 16th when we play Manchester City, it's one of our nicest periods of football you could ask yeah. for. So, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's important. Sweet. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time around. See you next. Thanks. Bye.